is true Though I cannot see If the storms have come my way And the road ahead gets steep I will lift these hands in faith I will believe And I'll remind myself of all that you've done And the life I had because of your son And love came down and rescued me Love came down and set me free And I am yours That I am yours, I'm forever yours When my heart is filled with hope And every promise comes my way When I feel your hands of grace rest upon me Staying desperate for you, God Staying humble at your feet Lift these hands in praise I will believe And I'll remind myself Of all that you've done And the life I have Because of your son And love came down And rescued me Love came down And set me free and I am yours, I'm forever yours And mountains high or valleys low I sing out to remind my soul that I'm yours I'm forever yours You rescued me, you set me free and I am forever yours You rescued me You set me free And I am forever yours Love came down and rescued me Love came down and set me free And I'm yours, I'm forever yours And mountains high or valleys low I sing out and remind my soul That I'm yours, I'm forever yours That I'm Amen. Thank you, fellas, for that. Appreciate it. Ecclesiastes 2 tonight. Anybody out there need notes? All right, right here, Maneuver need notes. We got her fixed up. Anybody else? 
Okay, Ecclesiastes 2, we're going to cover the first 11 verses, Lord willing, tonight. So here we go, Ecclesiastes 2, verse number 1. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, yet behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, yet to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possession of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold, and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers, and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments, and that of all sorts. So I was great, and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever my eyes desired I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. And that's the title of our message tonight, No Profit under the sun. Father, work now these minutes. I pray that our hearts would be united around your word and that we would not live for things of this earth, but live for you. And I pray that we'd be reminded once again tonight uh, what the devastating effect is of buying into a humanistic worldview. Help us to live for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's Solomon, and he told his heart, he said, listen, heart, we're going to try out some things, and we're going to find the joy of life. And so he began to search, and, and we're going to go through every part of this tonight. He went to every quadrant known to man to figure out where happiness was going to come from. And he tried everything, literally everything. And uh, studying for this lesson this week, um, there's been something that's been on my heart throughout the whole week. Um, Andrew came in the other day and, and said, hey, did you hear about, about Jeremy? Yeah, no, I didn't hear anything. And uh, there's a, a man who was an associate pastor down at Lancaster Baptist Church, and I talked about it for a second on Wednesday night. Uh, his name Jeremy Jeremy Whitman, and Jeremy's uh, he's always been a gracious, wonderful man. And about my age, you're younger than I am. Uh, wife, five kids, 
And I think Jeremy actually came to Centennial um, with uh, Pastor Paul Chapel for a meeting probably around the year 2000, maybe 2001. And uh, just, a, just a servant, just a, a fine man. And uh, this week we found out that, that Jeremy, uh, about a year ago, had had some shoulder pain. And uh, as a result of his shoulder pain, he began to take some prescription drugs. And he started to make some bad decisions based on that. And within just a short period of time, less than six months, um, he left the ministry. He left his wife. He left the entire purpose of what he had committed his life toward. And last Sunday night, um, he drove by, shot a man at a stoplight, killed him, shot him repeatedly, and then went to a parking lot and ended his own life. And reading through all of the events of that and trying to discern how that happens, I just have been blown away by it all week. It has affected me. I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, Why would somebody try, after they already have peace in Jesus Christ, try to find peace anywhere else? And I think it's the question that we have to ask ourselves all the time. Why is it that we who are children of God, who know where satisfaction's at, why would we look for it anywhere else? And, and the thing that stunned me is, is Andrew was saying he talked to one of his friends that he knew uh, down in, at West Coast, who said that Jeremy had made a statement to one of the guys that was trying to help him and kind of go after him and he said, I guess I'm going to get to find out what my life would have been like if I hadn't served God. And I just thought, that's such a tragic statement. It's almost an Ecclesiastes type statement. Where Solomon said, listen, I know who God is. And God built you the temple. And we, we got this all together. And I served you. And I saw the Shekinah glory. And um, you know, we, we really conversed, and you asked me if you could do anything for me, and I said, yeah, give me wisdom, and, and we had a relationship, but you know, God, I'm going to see if there's anything else out there. That's what Solomon said. He said, I'm going to see if there's anything else out there. Now, in our hearts, we're always tempted to do this. We're always tempted to look outside of God for satisfaction, and we're going to find out tonight And I think we know that there is no other satisfaction. There's no profit under the sun. There's absolutely none. And so here we are in verse number one again. He said, I'm going to first, I'm going to prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And we're going to get into your notes. Let's say this. In his pursuit of meaning, Solomon would seek pleasure. Or, here's the definition of pleasure, selfish enjoyment without thought of others. Selfish enjoyment without thought of others. So Solomon said, I'm going to try whatever feels good to me. Whatever I want, that's what I'm going to try. In verse 10, we kind of get his perspective on this, where he said, Whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. So anything I walked by, anything I thought of, anything that came into my mind that I wanted, I took it. I mean, anything, whatever it was. 
I remember when I was a kid, we used to go, um, my little sisters were growing up, and my parents would take us to the Shepherd Mall, which is right down the road, and uh, we went to the Furs Cafeteria. And I don't know, do they have cafeterias where you grew up? Cafeterias used to be the deal. They were the bomb back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And uh, you go in the Furs Cafeteria, and you walk by the dessert rack. Man, every dessert was calling your name. Every single one of them. The, the pecan pie and the German chocolate cake. And you got the bread pudding. And we don't have any cafeterias now. We just have all you can eat, which means you just try them all and be a glutton and, you know, shorten your life. But at the cafeteria, the rule was you could choose one dessert. That's it. That's an impossible decision, isn't it? You got eight perfectly good desserts sitting right there, and you're going to choose one of them? That's hard to do. So Solomon, what he would do, you know what he would do? He said, just give me all of them. Just give me all of them. And it didn't matter how much it cost. Money was no object. We got to go on a cruise once. And at dinner, the waiter came in. He was a really nice guy. I liked him a lot. And one, one thing that he did, um, when the meal was ended, it was time for dessert. And you know, you've been sitting there for two hours, and they're entertaining you, and they're bringing you all this great food. And he, he came to the table, and he said, now it is happy, happy time. And <laughs> he'd give you the dessert menu. And he would say, you want one, two, three, happy, happy time. And whatever you wanted on that dessert menu, you could order it. And I'll tell you, it was a pretty happy time. <laughs> but it wouldn't have been life-changing for long, right? And I still remember you'd eat, and then about 12 o'clock, you'd walk down to the midnight buffet. And then, if you were still up and you still felt like it, you'd go down to the 24-hour pizzeria. And, and then, hey, if, if you still felt like it, you walk across the deck one more time and you go to the ice cream machine. Now, boy, that thing's good. And you just keep eating and you gain 10 pounds in three days. Pleasure. And a pleasure is something that people live for. In fact, people look forward to moments of pleasure for months at a time, for years at a time. And then gone, fades away. But Solomon, that's where he started with his pursuit. He said, listen, here's what we're going to do. We tried wisdom under the sun, and nothing made sense. It, that's what we talked about last week. When it, without God, there's nothing on this earth that makes sense. There's just not. So now he's going to try pleasure. And he came to an immediate conclusion at the end of verse 1. This is vanity. Now I want you to look at verse number 2. I said of laughter, it is mad. That means it's crazy. And of, earth, and of mirth, what doeth it? And in your notes we explain it this way. Next, he sought laughter. He sought laughter. So Solomon brought in all the comedians, all the funny guys, he brought Laurel and Hardy. He brought Abbott and Costello. He brought all the greats of his day. 
obviously. Now, most people don't even over here didn't even know what we just said. But he brought him in. He said, you guys do your who's on first routine. You know, and they did it. And uh, man, everybody was laughing. And uh, he had a court jester. And he probably had a couple court jesters. And they would tell him jokes all day long. And he said, this is going to be the ticket. Laughter is going to be the medicine that helps me find purpose. And uh, boy, it's, it's really going to work for me. And after a while, he said, it is mad. What he's saying is, and we tell you in your notes, next he sought laughter. But constant laughter with no life purpose involved is simply madness. Laughter without purpose will put you in the loony bin. A laughter with nothing behind it with no reason, that's what the crazy people do. Now, my grandmother didn't get to come today. I was not feeling very good. Her legs sore. But she lived, uh, when she was a, a young lady, almost 20, she lived in a village called Arnhem in Holland. And the Nazis had taken over the entire area. In fact, her family was part of the Dutch underground. And the Nazis took their farm and allowed them to still live on it. So, so they lived in a, a cellar on their own farm. And when the uh, Allies came and, and uh, performed uh, Operation Market Garden, where they dropped 30,000 troops in uh, over a three-day period, largest paratroop operation in history, they dropped into all these places behind enemy, enemy lines and they were expecting nothing to be there and there were panzer troops and tanks and it was just a horrible thing. But they accidentally bombed the Looney Institution, the insane asylum. And uh, when they did, um, all of the people who were in the insane asylum escaped through the woods. And so here came the Allies coming down in their parachutes and they landed at the edge of the woods and as they landed, there were hundreds of insane people in the woods laughing at them. And they landed and here they drop with their guns and they're ready and all they hear is, ha, 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 ha. And um, one of, this is telling, one of the guys, if you've ever seen A Bridge Too Far, which kind of portrays this whole story, he looks at the other guy and he says, do you think they know something we don't know? <laughs> and you know, that's how, how laughter is. When there's no purpose behind it, it's kind of insane. And uh, if you ever want to go practically insane, um, stick around for your daughter's 13-year-old birthday party. <laughs> I wasn't downstairs for the whole thing, but I was upstairs and all I heard was, hee-hee-hee-hee-hee-hee-hee. are like, what in the world are they laughing about? They don't even know. They don't even know. So, so Solomon, he went this route. He said, we're going to try laughter. Now, laughter is obviously a good thing, right? Laughter is a good thing. Now, um, Proverbs talks a lot about a merry heart, making the cheerful countenance, and uh, how when you have real happiness and you're looking for the best things in life, that you can find some satisfaction in that. But if that's what you're counting on to be your purpose in life, you're going to come up short. 
Some of the funniest comedians that there have ever been have taken their own lives, have overdosed on drugs, have ruined their lives at a very young age. Why? Because laughter didn't do it for them. They needed something bigger. And so Solomon went to another thing, verse number 3. He said, now I want you to, to notice the wording here. I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. Okay, just check that out. He said, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. So he didn't say I gave myself to wine. He said, I tried to allow wine to take over my life. I sought in my heart to give myself to wine. So in your notes we explain it this way. He purposely placed himself under the influence of wine to see what effect it might have upon life's meaning. Now this doesn't mean that he deliberately became a drunk person. What it means is that he deliberately gauged what happened when he was under the effects of wine. And he even, we found out later, he planted a vineyard. And so he's going to see what alcohol would do to enhance his life. Guess what he found out? Alcohol's never enhanced anybody's life. It just doesn't. It's, it's a fraud, just like all this other stuff. It's a complete fraud. It, um, it appears like it's going to be this wonderful thing, but it doesn't turn out to enhance or help anyone. Um, you're never going to have anybody come up to you and say, you know what, uh, we were having a rough patch in our marriage, and then we decided to start drinking together, and things got better. I've never heard anybody say that. We were really working on trying to figure out how to raise our family, and we just decided if we drink a 12-pack every night that it would be great for our kids. Never heard anybody tell me that. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you said that. That's how some people live. They think that this is going to be the answer that's going to make everything else go away. And it doesn't. It just makes things worse. And, and so he said, I want you to look in this middle of the verse. He said, to lay hold on folly. So he said, on purpose, I'm going to embrace foolishness. The foolishness of wine. On purpose, I'm going to lay hold on folly. Now look, look at this next statement. Till I might see what was that good for the sons of men. So he said, under the influence of a drug, the drug of alcohol, I'm going to try to figure out the meaning of life. That doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense the way he even words it. Doesn't sound like it's going to work. So he purposely placed himself under this influence and said, hey, here's where the answer is going to be, and we're going to try this. And it didn't work. Verse number four I made me great works, I builded me houses. So in your notes, we say this setting aside the trivial pleasures instead of just mirth and laugh it up and wine. He pursued large projects to give his life meaning. So he said, okay, we're going to do some big things. And so he built houses all over the country. He had a summer home and a winter home and a spring home and a fall home and a home for this wife and a home for this wife. 
And he's making houses all over the place. And he also made a temple. Um, we don't really believe that that factors into what he's saying here. I think that that was something he really did seek to glorify God at the beginning of his reign. But he said, I make great, great works. I build in me houses. You know, this is another thing that people buy into. They say, if I could do something big, if there was a big project that I could do, that would give meaning to my life. Right? And, and you find people everywhere that, boy, they've done some big things. And they've done some big projects. And temporarily, it was something that gave them a little bit of purpose. But I don't know if you're accustomed to visionaries who go from one big project to another big project to another big project, and they're always moving to the, the next big thing. You know why? Because that big thing didn't satisfy their soul. And, and so they're looking, boy, we've got to do this, and we've got to build this, and, and uh, whatever it what is, if it's software, it's engineering, or it's some type of contracting, they're always moving to the next big thing. And so Solomon became proficient at all of this. I mean, he could sit down and draw you up the most beautiful house on the planet. Um, statisticians, mathematicians who are Christians have, have started to evaluate some of this stuff. I told our life group this morning that um, 1 Chronicles 29, where we were studying, it's assumed that King David himself gave over a billion dollars to the temple project in modern day terms. That's incredible. I mean, they, if you've read about Solomon's temple, they lined the whole temple in gold. Like it was totally caked in gold. Solomon had so much wealth, which we'll talk about in a minute, that really he didn't even need to count it anymore, but he still did. And he went from project to project to project, and that didn't work. He planted vineyards, made gardens, he made orchards. He planted trees with all kinds of fruits. He made pools of water. And we say next in your notes. In addition to being an architect and contractor, Solomon became a master gardener and irrigation expert. So he made pools of water so that he could water his orchards and his vineyards and his trees and all the plants that he had made. And boy, he was really good at it. I mean, back in that time period, um, much of Israel was, was pretty fertile, but there was also some desert portions. And so he made an irrigation system for his plants. He became good at everything that he did. And everything he tried, he was good at. Just amazing. The man that Solomon was. And he was going to make an attempt to garden his way to purpose in life. To cook his way to purpose in life. He figured if he would plant enough trees, that he could offset all of the problems that he had had. Kind of an Al Gore philosophy, right? I'm going to do enough carbon, whatever it is, um, to, to pay for all of my plane trips, which is a complete fraud if you've ever read up on it. Um, what is it? Carbon deposits? Carbon something. 
Carbon footprint. That's what I got to take care of my carbon footprint. Well, Solomon, he took care of his carbon footprint. He walked out in the gardens. He walked out in the vineyards. If you ever read the book of Song of Solomon, it's filled with the language of, of the garden and the orchard and the vineyard. And there are people today who enjoy gardening. They literally do. And if you ever have plants that you're good at, at working with, you can enjoy gardening. But if that's what you're counting on to give you purpose in life, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. One bad week in a garden can ruin the whole thing. And one little season of drought or one bug that comes in or raccoons or some type of varmint can get in there. And it was Solomon who said in Song of Solomon, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. He knew it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. And he was the original, what does the fox say? Guy, kids, look it up. Song of Solomon 2, verse 15. Um, He knew what the fox said. You know why? Because he walked in the garden and he saw exactly what was going on. He did. Yeah? We good? All right, it's Monique's birthday. Is that you laughing? Is that Maya? Both, all right. It was Tamara. That's who I figured. All right, so now look at verse number seven. I want you to notice this next section. Okay, um, we haven't even covered the women thing, really. And yeah, not anything we're really going to cover tonight, but look at part of what happened here, verse seven. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. So, next in your notes, he appointed servants to every possible role in the kingdom. You know, Solomon didn't have 20 servants. He didn't have hundreds of servants. He had thousands of servants. For every possible thing he wanted them to do. Um, If he wanted them to carve rocks to make them square and to get them exactly right for his houses, he could have hundreds of people do it. If he wanted them to take a ship and go get him some gold, he'd send them. He had servants to do every single thing that he wanted done. Now, sometimes we think, boy, that sounds like fun. I mean, if I could tell people everything I wanted them to do, and they would do it, what a fun life that would be. Obviously, you've never been a boss. And that's not any fun. It, it can really have its own drudgery as well. But Solomon, he said, listen, I've got people who can do everything for me. They can complete everything for me. You know what the one thing is what they couldn't complete for him? They couldn't make him happy. They couldn't fill his soul. Didn't work. And so he kept trying other stuff. So he tried servants. In fact, his servants were some of the best servants that there had ever been. When the queen, queen of Sheba came to look at 1 Kings 10 at Solomon's kingdom, she was impressed by his servants. She was impressed by the way they walked. She was impressed by the way they dressed, 
by the way they carried themselves. His servants were second to none. But that didn't fulfill his life. He tried the animals. And it said he got great and small cattle. But that word is referring to animals. So we say in your notes, Solomon had farms for every type of animal known to man. Do you know he had peacocks? He had greyhounds? He probably had elephants? He had any type of cattle that there was, and he had farms for those cattle. He had so many cattle that if you read Solomon's list of what he ate at dinner, we should read it. It's, It's just incredible. Look at 1 Kings chapter 10. Now, this wasn't just him that ate, but he, he would have dinner parties. He would have dinner parties every night. All right, you can read through this in, in 1 Kings 10 and in 2 Chronicles 9 about all of the things that Solomon owned and all the things that he made. He had horses brought out of Egypt. Um, He had silver brought from Egypt. He had uh, had spices in a great, very great store. All right, look at verse number 14. Let's just talk about his gold for a second. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600, three score, and six talents of gold. You think it's any accident that that's 666? The number of man. Number of man. Uh, Verse 17, he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pounds of gold went to one shield. He had ivory. Uh, He had vessels. Look down at verse 22. He had apes. He had peacocks. So he had all of this stuff. Now go to 2 Chronicles 9. And let's shop around and see a little more on Solomon. Second Chronicles nine. He never drank out of anything that wasn't gold. We find that in Second Chronicles nine. Uh, look at verse eleven. The king made of the algum tree terraces to the house of the Lord, the king's palace. And King Solomon, he gave to the Queen of Sheba everything she wanted. Where is the part about his food? I've missed this. It's in here. Um, you, if you find it in the Bible this week, you get bonus points, right? Is it verse 4? Yeah, here we go. She saw the meat of his table. This is what she saw. Meet of his table, the sitting of his servants, the attendance of his ministers. She looked at all this stuff. There's a list somewhere that talks about how many animals he killed for one dinner. Um, But even when you look at Solomon's life, even when he was trying to serve God with his life, when they brought the ark in to go into the temple, they sacrificed so many animals on the short journey to bring it into the temple that they couldn't even count how many it was. And just excess in every part of his life, he had excess. And so, his animals, right? Next one in your notes. Along with his pleasures and projects, Solomon pursued wealth. So he sent the navy out to get more gold. 
His navy didn't have to fight. They just brought him gold. They would bring him cedar trees, the cedars of Lebanon, some of the greatest wood in the world. His throne was made of ivory. You know where ivory comes from? It comes from elephant tusks. So he had apes. He had peacocks. This is a primitive. This is 1000 B.C. He had gardens. He had things that today would be considered the wealthiest of the wealthy. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we find verse number 8. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of the kings and of the provinces. So, along with his pleasures and projects, Solomon pursued wealth. That's in your notes. Along with his pleasures and projects, Solomon pursued wealth. All right, so when you think about, well, what could I try in life to satisfy me? Oh, we've tried about everything so far, just in Ecclesiastes 2. He's tried pleasure. He's tried laughter. He's tried substance abuse or substance use. He's tried to build great things. He's tried to plant gardens and vineyards and orchards. He's tried servants. He's tried money. At the end of verse number 8, he tries another thing. Yeah, in your notes, he attempted to soothe his soul with the greatest singers and musicians of the day. So he would invite the latest Grammy winner to his house to sing that night. Right? And that was going to bring him happiness. Now, we actually have a president who does this quite often now. Um, invites all these famous singers and rappers to the White House. To whatever that's for, I don't know. But... He, he knew these guys all personally. In fact, he was the biggest celebrity that there was. Like anybody he wanted to get who was supposed to be a celebrity, they came just to see him. That's how impactful and famous Solomon was. And he tried music, any type of music he wanted, to soothe his soul. And I want you to notice the words in verse 9, the first four words. So I was great. So I was great. Now, this isn't somebody who's just saying he's great. That happens a lot. So I was great. He had the information to back it up. He was bigger and better than anybody before him in Jerusalem. And he still had his wisdom. Solomon tried everything. And here's what we find in verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought. And on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, look at the wording again. All was vanity. All of it was emptiness. And vexation of spirit, which we saw last week, literally means chasing the wind. Says what it is. Everything he tried was chasing the wind. And this last statement, once again, don't miss it. I underlined it and I circled the words, no prophet. There was no prophet under the sun. If you're going to try on this earth to be satisfied and to find something that actually means or has value, 
you're not going to get it done. It's not going to happen. Last thing in your notes. After holding nothing back from himself, Solomon came to the conclusion that nothing he had ventured to gain had brought him any real profit. What are where Solomon's gardens are now? wonder if any of his servants are still around. Those jokes that they told him there in the courtyard, I bet those things are still funny. You know, everything that's just talked about, it's gone. It's all gone. His temple, gone. The only thing that lasts from Solomon is the influence he gave when he was serving the God of creation. And you can read it every day. It's called the book of Proverbs. One of the greatest treasuries of wisdom that there is on planet earth. And then you get the book of Ecclesiastes and you, and you have this wisdom as well. The greatest thing that we could do as Christians is to learn from other people's mistakes instead of having to learn from our own. That's why the Bible is given to us. It's so that we don't have to go and try every knuckle-headed thing that's been tried before to prove how stupid it is. But we still do. And Ecclesiastes is like this cycle. It just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. And if you could latch on to this wisdom... Say, you know what, God, protect me from things that have no profit. Because if God doesn't protect you from it, that's what your whole life will be. Your whole life will be about things that have no profit. And I think God has more for us than that. Jesus, in fact, said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And that's, that's what it's all about. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And boy, I'm excited. Some, some of the investment they were making, yeah. 1 Kings 4.22, they've been doing research back there. Let's read it. And then I want to tell you something real quick. 1 Kings 4.22, thank you very much. The Brashears have have made it happen here. Look at this. 1 Kings 4.22 And Solomon's provision for one day, it's one day, was 30 measures of fine flour. Right? 30 measures. Do you know how much that is? That's 300 bushels. 30 measures of fine flour and 3 square measures of meal. 10 fat oxen that means they're fed corn, and 20 oxen out of the pastures, and 100 sheep, beside hart and roebuck and fallow deer and fatted fowl, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> I mean, he had, look at that. Talk about a meat-eating diet. <laughs> the guy was a protein hound. Look at that. Incredible. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know, when I think about the investment we're making in the world around us to reach people with the gospel, 
I was reading the, uh, the prayer letter from Star Baptist Church. And uh, they're almost done with their building project. And uh, inviting people to come in and seeing people influence for Christ. And uh, reading about our friends in India and uh, Peru and other parts of the world where we get letters from every week, how the Lord's working. And I believe the Lord's working here in Caldwell, too, as we are faithful to serve Him. And uh, really, our stewardship, our accountability, our investing in eternity, it doesn't come down to sections of days. It really comes down to moments. That's what it comes down to. This moment, what am I going to do? Am I going to serve God with this moment of my life, and this moment of my life, and this moment of my life? And I would encourage you in your moments this week to build the kingdom of Jesus and not your own kingdom. Because your own kingdom is not going to last. Solomon's didn't. Yours won't either. So let's stand and go home and have a plate of fallow deer. Forest in Maryland had the liver fest last night. We missed this year. And boy, it sounds like they had a great crowd. Maryland, you don't like, you don't like liver, do you? No. Uh, Forrest cooks it in the garage. Yeah, he cooks it in the garage. He's a good husband. He cooks it right in the garage. But uh, go home tonight, have some liver and onions, huh? Something, something good. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for our folks and their faithfulness to you. I pray that we would get it, this truth from Ecclesiastes, that there's no prophet under the sun. I pray that you'd protect the people in this room from being duped by Satan, being tricked by our flesh into thinking that there's something outside of God. Help us to understand that it's all vanity. It's all chasing the wind. And this week, give us influence for Jesus Christ in every interaction that we make. Guide us as we go to our homes. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.